exciting day where we can come um, uh, learn at Sunday school and worship you um, uh, for um, uh, for service. And we pray, Father, that as we talk about limited atonement, uh, we pray that we would ask good questions and have good discussion, that it would stir up our um, our thoughts, uh, that we would continually seek more of you um, and more of what you've revealed to us. Uh, so be with us, be with this discussion. We love you. We pray this in your son's name. Amen. Amen. Okay. Today we are talking about limited atonement. Okay. Um, so, so just a real quick recap. Of, we went through total depravity, right? Basically, in one sentence, this is that man is unable to save himself. <coughs> so man is so he's like so dep- uh, um, so so <laughs> unable to save himself because he's uh, he's sinful in all his entirety, like his heart, his mind, his will. So dead men can't save themselves, right? They can't lift a finger or do anything at all. So only uh, God can um, quicken their hearts and bring them back to life, right? And conditional election is basically that uh, God chooses chooses His people um, not not by looking into the future or or uh, by seeing. Um, it's not. This is not based on anything that we've done or any good that we have, right? But He just chooses His, his people uh, for His own good pleasure, right? For his own good pleasure. Okay, and that brings us to. Wait, uh, yes. a quick question. Why is it called unconditional election rather than just election? It's unconditional. There's no conditions. Like God, uh, God doesn't say like, "Oh, Chewy, Chewy looks more faithful than Neiman or someone a non-Christian," and he's like, "So that." So no conditions. Like he just out of his uh, for his own good pleasure. He just we don't know. We don't know the, why he does. Why he chooses who? That's his purposes, right? So that brings us to limited <coughs> atonement. So these kind of build off of one another. And remember that uh, Calvinism in general, or Tulip in general, is just one idea. We're just uh, teasing it out to, um, to make it more clear, right? So limited atonement. Oh, here, let's, uh, let's, uh, um, let's define what atonement is first, right? So let's read this first one. What is atonement? Atonement is a satisfaction, reparation, reconciliation, or amending of a wrong, right? So Christ's atonement for sin is what brings reconciliation between man and God, right? Uh, so his atonement is what saves us, right? He, he uh, makes satisfaction, right, for, um, um, to satisfy God's wrath, right? Okay, so limited atonement is basically um, the idea that uh, um that Christ's death was for the elect, right? So let's just read this uh, box here, and then we'll, we'll tease it out, okay? Um, the doctrine of limited atonement teaches the biblical understanding that Christ's redeeming work was definite in design and accomplishment. That is, Christ's work was intended only for the elect, so it's a design um, for the elect, and Christ's work actually secured salvation for these individuals, and for no one else. 
Um, another way to put it is that Christ dies for those whom he actually applies the benefits of his redemptive work for. Um, and you'll see why this is important um, in a second. Uh, this doctrine of limited atonement is also called definite atonement um, or particular redemption. Um, so, limited atonement is that. Can you, can you put that in plain language? Uh, yeah, that's it. So, limited atonement is that Christ, just very simply, that Christ's death um, is. Is intended for for the elect, right? Um, and so uh, we're going to see why this is important. Um, um, so okay, okay. So what I wanted to do is I wanted to present this to you. I'm going to talk about uh, limited atonement and then what general atonement is, the opposing view. Um, and then why it's important, and then you guys can ask questions. Right? So, so I, I, down here, just write your <coughs> questions if you have any while we go through it. Um, this will be fairly brief in presentation, so um, just so you have, we have a, a better idea of what we're talking about. Here. So, um, let's read this thing here. It's important to note that the redemptive work of Christ is sufficient <coughs> to save all men. That is, uh, the death of Christ uh, could have saved all men, right? It's not that it's, it's only... Um, good for the elect in one sense, um, but God chose that Christ's death would only be for the elect. Um, so the second part is, but it is only effective for those that God predestined. Right? Um, okay, so really quickly, hold your question. Uh, we're going to talk about what general atonement means, right? So, I know there's a lot of questions, but let's see what general atonement is. This is opposing view, right? Or a universal atonement, you could call that, or redemption. Uh, it's a doctrine that holds that redeeming work of Christ made it possible, uh, but not certain, for everyone to be saved. Uh, it does not actually secure salvation for anyone, and its effectiveness is limited to those who choose God. Okay, so let's draw a picture um, to kind of define these two, right? Alright, let's start here. So, limited you should, atonement. You should write the definition for. Oh, sorry. It's down here. It's on a sheet as well. Hmm? <coughs> I was saying it's on a sheet as well, right? But, but in plain language. Okay, yeah. Okay. A general atonement is that uh, Christ death. Christ died for all. Yes. Christ died <coughs> for all. Okay, so that's that's. I mean, just the idea, the concept, I, idea of this is uh, pretty straightforward, right? Um, so we could draw this out, right? So we could say, so um, so here's Christ, right? I say this is limited. Right? View. Uh, yeah, so we could say Christ. Uh, general. 
So the Atonement is Christ died only for the that saying that Christ, okay, Christ is here, and then here's his death, Christ's death. Um, sorry, 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 sorry. <laughs> General okay, the song here, sorry. Um, here's God, right? Here's here's man, right? So the, uh, God, Christ's atoning work uh, reconciles man, right? So, but Christ's death, I know this is really messy. It's more like think of it more like um, a big bridge, right? A big bridge here, and then here's man, right? Uh, but it doesn't go all the way across, right? So let's just say, for example, you just. So here's God, here's man. Um, Christ's death, Christ's death, like, does half the work, and then man has to reach out um, to to accept it, right? So it's it's, um, it's it's saying that it's for all men, but it's but only um, it only goes halfway because ultimately it's up to man to choose. I know it's gonna sorry. Um, whereas you have God, you have man here. And Christ died. It's more like a narrow bridge. Think of it like this, right? It goes all the way across. Um, I don't know if that's helpful. <laughs> Does that make sense? It's kind of like Limitome is more like a bridge that goes all the way across, um, and this is only it's only halfway. So the the idea is that Christ's death is effective completely in this sense, right? The um, the, the death of Christ is effective. Uh, completely, whereas in here, it's only go- it only goes halfway. Um, so maybe uh, let's let's read this uh, bottom part and uh, we'll see see if this kind of clarifies things a little bit better. Um, so understanding limited atonement helps to magnify our view of God as we see that all the work that God does is always efficacious. That means it's always effective, right? Nothing is wasted, and um, it never fails. God is not to the mercy of man choosing him, but God is sovereign over all things. Everything he de- designs and wills cannot be frustrated and thwarted by man. And then the general atonement view says that the redemptive work of Christ is only efficacious for those who choose him, uh, but it fails in everybody, fails for uh, in everybody else who rejects him. So this certainly takes away and minimizes the power and work of Christ. Right. So the idea is that. Um, not only is this biblical, but this says that Christ's death was effective, right? It, it works in its co- um, completeness. Whereas if you take hold to a general atonement view, you're saying that Christ's death only did half the work, and then some um, some people come to faith, and it's effective for them, but everyone else that rejects it. So it's kind of like, uh, it makes it really weak, right? So a good example maybe is, say Christ died on the cross, right? And say, um, if we're to choose him, say nobody chose um, chose God after that, right? Say, so there's no, so Christ Christ dies and nobody um, comes to faith, right? What does that mean for the work of Christ, right? That's an extreme example, but what does that mean for what He has done and and how um, sovereign and powerful God is, right? Wouldn't that like m- uh, diminish and take away um, the power of His death, right? So this is saying that. Christ's death is effective, it is powerful, and it secured salvation, rather than it merely enabled uh, salvation, right? Um, it doesn't make it just make it possible, it actually secured it all the way, right? Uh, 
Yeah, so do you guys have any questions so far? <coughs> I know it's... That's a general concept and idea of it. I would just add, like, people have like, the big, big problem with this, right? Because... Um, it, 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 I, this is, I think this is the most controversial of the five points, and people are just... People that... There are a lot of people that don't believe in... They believe in all the other four points, but they don't believe in this point. They call themselves a like, four-point Calvinist. Mm-hmm. But in this here, it's saying that, um, yeah, Christ really did die for everyone. Um, so it's just, I mean, they, we've heard this over and over. So this is what people are used to hearing. And to hear that Christ didn't die for everyone, it just is really offensive <coughs> to some people, I think. Yeah. Yeah, I, I guess, um, like, how how I've come to understand this uh, limited atonement is that if we believe in election, right, um, and God elects, like elects a, a certain, certain few, not everybody. Like why? Yeah, that, it just seems so wasteful that Christ would die for all people in in the sense that for all the individuals, right? Like why didn't why didn't some choose him? Like, it just seems like such a waste. Uh, it seems like why would God do that? Right? Um, so it just kind of logically builds off of um, election. Uh, any other questions before we uh, touch on passages? We might have some more questions after. But wouldn't wouldn't a lot of people say that, that um, they would say that like um, that's that's the reason for like God loving us is that He gives us that choice. Right? So how would you like? How would you then answer that? Like some people, some people will say like, "Oh, like God, God loves us in that He gives us that choice to choose Him, right. and that like, I like." There's a lot of people who feel uncomfortable, like, because what limited atonement seems like is that He He's selective in His decision making in terms right. of salvation, and right. um, like, why, why should I believe in? God who like chooses on a whim or something, you know. Right. There's a there's a lot of people who um yeah. <coughs> so are you talking about the idea of like the fairness of it or or like um that like God um giving there's a lot of people who who say that like God gives us the choice to choose him uh and then like th- to them true like love right, right. right so yeah. <coughs> how would you how would you rebuttal that um <coughs> you know what i'm saying like yeah sorry so you're saying like what like god like, like god, god loves us enough to give us free will right, right? kind of like that yeah, <laughs> 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 well sorry. I, I, I thought that too. tim <laughs> um, sorry i, I just uh Libertum is weird. I mean, I wasn't here for the atonement for everything, but my understanding is that Calvinism is, is a each point builds on the last point. They don't. You can't take points individually and just say, I don't like this point because this point doesn't make sense to me. But the, to the question of limited atonement being a thing that's kind of unfair or like it doesn't work because we should have a choice and God gives us choice to love. If you believe in total depravity, then you really don't have a choice. Right. <laughs> If you believe in total 
private unit, you have free will. You don't really don't have a choice. Mm. And so that's what makes limited atonement such a big deal, which is also what makes you know election such a big deal, is because in a fallen state, you don't have that choice. Right. It's only it's an illusion of choice that we feel like we have intellectually, <coughs> but morally and I don't know, I guess you could say like um, eternally or you know spiritually, we don't have that choice. Right. So limited atonement, I guess, fits in with the system. But that's, that's if you accept the entire premise. Right, right, right. Yeah. I think like, if you're having that conversation with somebody and like, if you're talking about God loving us to the point of giving us free will, then um, if you want to frame it in the sense that, like, oh, if you, if you want to call it a choice, it's just that everybody would, by default, just choose to not believe in God and, like, they would choose to run off the cliff. And I think in that sense, like, it's not loving to, like just let us have our own way or else we're just gonna yeah. die something mm-hmm. it's like the more loving thing to grab us um. and this actually touches th- this question touches on next week's lesson which is irresistible grace and um yeah i think it, it's it's very uh it sounds really good to say like you know if like true love for us if god truly loved us then he would let us do whatever we want so we could freely choose him we could freely reject him and this freedom this um Love entails freedom on our part, but then I think we'll we'll touch on this next week. Is that you know like it really like if God left us to choose, then that'd be the most hateful thing He could do for us mm-hmm. because we, like if if it's true that we're if this doctrine of like that we're depraved and if this is true, then we, there's no way we can choose God. So I think that in love, God will sometimes um, he, he will. Uh, I'm not sure if limit our choices is the right phrase, but like sometimes the most loving thing I can do is to um, to go against our free will. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So like, how does limited atonement answer like the question like um, like so like if I was arguing this, I'd say like. Didn't Christ die for like the sins of the world? And then how does limited atonement like play into that? Because then it would seem that Christ only died for the sins of the people he predestined, right? Yeah. So um, I think one one uh, um, yeah, and we'll see passages that talk about that. Uh, one way that I I, I understand it um, is that the offer of uh, salvation is presented to the world in the sense to everyone, right? Um, uh, but when it comes to Christ's death, is only intended for the elect. Um, uh, um, that uh, sorry, I lost my train of thought. Uh, what, the, the, what was your the main the main question here? Idea? Um, because like we always say like oh you know like Christ died for the sins of the world, which like yeah. encompasses yeah. like everyone. So then, how does limited atonement, like, I guess, answer that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so Christ, uh, Christ died. Um, <coughs> uh, we could kind of talk about like his his the offer of salvation is presented to the world, but it is only intended for the elect. Um, Maybe you can go to the John three sixteen. Yeah. And then address that. Okay, let's go to the the back half of it. Yeah. 
Okay. Uh, yeah, John one twenty nine and John three sixteen and and the next the following verses all talk about the world that Christ died for it, right? Um, John one twenty nine says, "The next day he saw Jesus coming toward him." That's John the Baptist, and said, "Behold, the <coughs> Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world." Right. Um, and if you look at if you think about what he's talking about in terms of the world, like why he he's taking away the sin of the world in the in a larger sense in terms of um, all of the world and, and all peoples, like all different, uh, uh, all the nations, um, um, people of every like tribe and language and, and, and uh, different nations, right? So he's talking about it more in the general sense. Because um, obviously, like, if he takes away the sin of the world, as in everybody, then um, then that's not true, right? Because, because we know people that aren't saved, right? That have died and aren't saved. Um, so... And then John three sixteen, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, uh, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Uh, 17 says, For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him, right? So he died, uh, Christ was sent so that the world, um, more of a, in a general sense, um, uh, might be saved through him. So, so it's not to say that Christ's death was... What do you mean by general? Uh, general as in, the, when he talks about the world, it's not talking about, like, every single individual. Um, it's not talking about, like, um, yeah, peoples of, of all different countries. It's, t- it's more talking in general of, <coughs> uh, here's the world, and here's, like, uh, it's just talking more of how it's different people groups. Um, so the world... There is. Uh, um, you mean a representative? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So I think a good illustration would be um, when the UN meets. They <coughs> would say the world is gathered. We don't mean all 6.5 billion people, but we mean um, representatives from every country. Um, uh, uh, this is the sense in which the Bible speaks about the world. The, the word world has a very elastic meaning depending on the context. Um, so in this sense, God so loved the world. He's talking about the world in a representative sense so that every tribe, tongue, and nation will be saved. But he does not mean comprehensively the world or else John 3.16 would prove universalism, which means that God saves everybody. Everyone's going to heaven. Everyone's redeemed. No one's going to hell. Um, we know that's not true. The the the, the problem that uh, general or um, unlimited atonement presents is, if God loved the whole world, God saves the whole world. Christ died for everybody, and yet there are people in hell. What sort of God is that? God says, "I love you. I will save you. My blood covers over you, but you're in hell." Well, that's <coughs> your blood is worth nothing then. <laughs> But then he says only those whoever believes in the next part. He talks about the world first and then those who believe. Yeah, so that is the interpretation that the Armenians present. So God loved the whole world, but it's only effective if you believe. Right? So your vote your belief is your final vote. But uh, I think again the problem is then almost in a sense, um, man is saving himself. Right? Because man has the final say. Uh, his faith is the one that actually saves him. So last week I asked about the steps to salvation when you're talking to someone. 
uh, giving them the gospel message, what is it that you expect them to do? Or what is, uh, are we expecting anti-response? Or we just kind of put the gospel message there and then just walk away? Or, mm-hmm. uh, you're, so you're referring to your question, it's from Romans 10, 9 and 10, where it says, whoever believes with, believes and confesses with their mouth right. that Jesus is Lord. that's last week. Yeah. Yes. Oh, so, so you're, you're in terms of like... He's asking how if, does Calvinism negate means? Right. Negate what? Negate means. So, so one of the objections <coughs> against Calvinism is if we're Calvinists, and this was actually a very common objection during the height of the debate, if we're Calvinists, why should we do missions? Right? Um, God will save the elect. Why should we do anything? Um, and the answer to that is... Uh, First, I, I, I'm almost tempted to say what Paul says, you know, by no means, you know, that's a foolish question, because God not only um, <coughs> determines the ends, but he also determines the means, right? So the means of the elect is that they hear the gospel, they're preached to, faith is also a means, all of these things have to happen. Um, Calvinism does not say the elect will be saved, we don't have to do anything, Calvinism says the elect will be saved. Now we have all the more energy and reason and determination to work our hardest to present the gospel, to preach, to call for faith and repentance. Um, and and uh, I think time you're specifically you're asking <coughs> what what is man's response like? Like what responsibility? Respond? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah. So um, there's I think in terms of and you guys can chime in too if you guys I know you guys know a lot as well. Um, <coughs> In terms of like man's responsibility, I think it's just we everyone has to respond. It's it's we are obligated to respond, but then um, we have to ask what is it that causes us to respond, and is it God or is it something within <coughs> us that causes us to respond to the gospel? Sure. And um, so we, I mean, if we have if there's any desire in us to want to respond, which we're, we have an obligation to, it's because God gives us the the grace to respond positively. <clears throat> yeah, I, I think I can understand that part of it, but when you guys kept leaving out the thing about man's response, mm-hmm. that really confused the whole mm-hmm. issue about missions and outreach mm, and yeah. stuff like that. It just seems like, yeah, we don't have to do anything. Oh, yeah. Short, but I, I wanted to see people to see there there's a complete picture yeah. uh, to this. Uh, there, there were steps that yeah. we still need to be. Uh, active and, yeah, yeah. and involved. Uh, it made it sound like we didn't need to be involved. Yeah, yeah. and I appreciate you bringing that up because the whole issue of Calvinism, um, the three uh, three of the biggest objections are, number one, like Michael said, why do missions? Number two, why do we have to obey God at all if we're mm-hmm. saved already? And number three, why do we pray? Because if God has already chosen the people, like why should we pray for someone's salvation? So those are things that um, the Calvinism, uh, when people hear it, it's just... We're like, oh, like it doesn't make sense. Like we, man has a responsibility, but how can it be if Calvinism teaches that? So that's something that um, maybe you'll cover as well. So I'll leave it up to you. But we can, uh, we can. Do we have time to go through those or? Yeah, sure. <laughs> we're just, we're just but I, I think in terms of you're talking about human responsibility, absolutely. <coughs> like um, there's the Bible is filled with. Uh, um, um, just the idea that we are to repent, believe, that we're called to persevere, right? And there's even um, passages about apostasy where, you know, like warning of like not falling from the church. And so in one sense, yes, like we absolutely have to respond. Uh, We absolutely have to go out, um, do missions and proclaim the gospel. Um, 
it's biblical, right? It's, it, we're commanded to do that. But um, I think um, we're talking also about like um, God's sovereignty and also how He's um, He's the one ultimately that is uh, giving us this uh, this faith, giving us the motivation. Um, and so the wrong wrong idea of Calvinism is that okay, if God is sovereign and does every single thing, right? Even down to um, faith and election and, and, and how we how our lives can turn out and we don't have to do anything right that's that's completely foolish because um, yeah there's these two things that kind of are rub it with each other but um, it's I, I think that we need to follow what the Bible says and even as we're teaching God's sovereignty <clears throat> as we're just teaching the Bible um, and so we also need to teach that as well as responsibility it's kind of one of these things of um, of Christianity, this Christian faith that is seemingly at odds with each other, but it's not. It's somewhat of a mystery, but it's ultimately, like we need to do both things. We need to understand both things. So, um, proper understanding will help you to not have that view that you were talking about. Mm-hmm. To be like, oh, then why, why uh, share the gospel with friends, or why do we have to respond when we hear? Um, why were we even doing church, right? Like. Um, so it's it's more of a um, there absolutely is a, a a response aspect of of faith and, and yeah and I would say like that's like um, that's one thing that I really appreciate is that if, when you do bring up that we do have as believers we do have um, what well, initially like to respond to the gospel number to also just to live out what we read and um, when we talk about in what ways does God bring us to that point where we respond and in, in what ways does God bring us to the point where we feel compelled to um, act in service, to, to be generous, to love people. And um, I think, you know, uh, some of the means of grace, like there, it's, there's, there's um, reading the Bible, there's prayer, there is um, you know, fellowship, all, all these sorts of things. And these are the things that drive us to obey. These are the things that drive us to respond. So when I read the Bible, like I hear that I should be doing something and that sinks into me and that's God working in, in, in my life, which is through the means of grace. Like, one of the examples would be, like, um, in Jonah, where, you know, Jonah, people think about it in terms of, oh, you know, like, here's Nineveh, and um, they need to be saved. But then, as as we look through the book of Jonah, the uh, we see that the really, the person who's really changed is, or the person who God is really working on is not Nineveh, the people of Nineveh, but Jonah himself. And, and, you know, this is, uh, when we pray, it's God working in us. When we read the scriptures, it's God working in us to get us to that point where we do respond, whether it's to the initial gospel invitation or to a call to obedience. Is that, I don't know, does it sound kind of esoteric or does it make sense? And, and also like this, this idea that, um, these ideas that we're, that we present and we believe it's not we're not pulling out of thin air right that's why we always have these bible passages um that we're like okay this is what this is what it is right this is how how we come to understand um you know god's character and his nature and how do we respond to that and yeah but those uh like these are great questions in in um you know like the, the in opposition seemingly opposition that that we need to tackle and answer so um um, really quick, let's go through a few verses of this, uh, the backside, the top half. Um, what are some passages that teach that Christ died efficaciously? That's that it had effect, right? Only for the elect, right? And there are like so many verses. Um, I didn't, um, I didn't put a lot of verses down, but 
that just uh, are explicit that Christ died for his people, right? He didn't die for the world. I and mean, we'll see that in a high priestly prayer that uh, God, uh, that Christ is praying um, um, for his people, right? And specifically, right? So um, let me just read through a couple of these really quickly. Uh, Matthew one twenty one: She will bear a son, and you will, you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Right? He's not to save. He's not saving every single person. He's saving his people right, specifically. Uh, Matthew twenty six twenty eight: For this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Right? Not for all people, for many. Uh, John ten: um, I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for for the, for the sheep, right? Um, and we see there's the sheep and the goat and um, that Christ is the shepherd, right? That he, people, um, his sheep know him, right? So he lays down his life for the sheep, not for um, for anybody else. Um, John 17, since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him, so God gives, presents uh, people, uh, presents the elect to, um, to Christ, and he dies for them, right? He doesn't die for everyone. Uh, next one, I'm praying for them. I'm not praying for, for the world, uh, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. So he's praying, he, said, he specifically said, I'm not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me. Uh, so this, I don't know, this one to me is like so clear that uh, that Christ is specifically praying for the elect, for his own sheep, for his people, right? Um, and then let's look at this last one, Revelations 5, 9. And they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed a people for a people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation, right? So it's kind of going back to... Um, what the world means, right? When in, in these in the passages that kind of Jesse uh, was mentioning, that it's this representation uh, that Michael was talking about, right? It's not every single person; it's just a people from all all the all the nations of the world, right? So that all people are covered. Um, you guys have any other questions? <coughs> a few questions. Yeah. Uh, the last paragraph on the first page. Um, the first sentence it says, the general atonement view says that the redemptive work of Christ is only efficacious for those who choose him and fails and everybody who rejects him. So, if you believe the general atonement view, it means that Christ fails and those who, who reject him, correct? Is yeah. that what arguing? Yeah. Uh, what if it's not Christ or God who fails, but what if it's man who fails God, the, the other way around? Um, for example, um, like I can think of many instances in the Old Testament where man has failed God. Um, mm-hmm. What if it's that and not the opposite? Um, th- well, it's, we're uh, we're talking about how it. I think the idea uh, idea, if you look at it right, like if Christ offers salvation to, um, let's use an extreme example. He he dies and he he offers salvation to everyone, right? Mm-hmm. And then nobody accepts him, right? Right. Um, so what if it's a failure on man's part, not not on God's part, because He gave the offer to us. Right. That 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 brings it back to the idea that. God wouldn't then be sovereign, right? And that God wouldn't have um, that. It is up to basically man to to. Uh, <coughs> um, I think basically the idea is that when God does something, um, it it is.
effective. He was powerful. Everything will come to pass, right? So this last uh, sentence, everything he designs and wills cannot be frustrated and thwarted by man, right? Um, yeah, that's um, that understanding is 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 biblical. It's it gives God all this power um, and all you know, and to understand that um, what he does actually works, right? If if it's up to man to uh, decide, and man will certainly fail, um, but if it's up to man to ultimately decide whether or not um, they come to faith, then I feel like I think that um, it really. Really, that li- limits his power a lot. So the de- so the definition of thwarted in this instance would be like uh, no one accepting Christ or no one wanting to choose that yeah, stuff. Yeah, or, or just in general, like if God says, "Okay, I'm gonna save uh, save this people," and then I, or do something, and then um, man man says somehow like I don't know <laughs> changes that. Uh-huh. Um, then that would be yeah. Then, then, well, then God wouldn't be God almost. Yeah. Just I think um, your question is like, um, why can't we understand a lack of faith to be a failure in man's part, right? Correct. Yes. Um, the the problem is that the underlying premise uh-huh. is that faith is a work, right? That faith is is your contribution yeah. to salvation. Okay. Right. <coughs> I think that is the Arminian position. Faith is your contribution to salvation. Okay. The Calvinist position is that that's a form of self-salvation. So faith is actually um, your response to what God has already done. Your faith doesn't save you. Christ saves you. Faith is just accepting what Christ has done. Does that make sense? Thank you. So so in that sense, it cannot cannot be like the, 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 the bottom drawing here where the arrow is faith. Mm-hmm. It just cannot be. What is faith? Faith is not you, like, saving yourself. Uh, faith is saying, I cannot save myself. So how can that be a form of self-salvation? It, it, okay. So I think in that sense, the Armenian position is deeply, deeply flawed because it completely misunderstands what faith is. Faith is the empty hand that receives the gift. It is not itself a hammer that partially builds the gift. <laughs> Right. Well, to answer Justin's question, though, would you then say you cannot, you will not fail? Because his question originally was, what if man fails? And so if you're in God's elect, and then let's say Justin's question was, what if we still fail? You're basically saying God's sovereignty covers that, and you will not, like, you will not lose your salvation. Right. I'm kind of taking his question a little bit to the next level, but mm. is that, I don't know if that was your original question, Justin, but I'm starting to kind of wonder that, That's too. Is that the answer? Was that, would that be the answer, then? God's sovereignty <coughs> covers that, so you're not going to fail, basically. You're not, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? Because I guess I thought Justin's question was, like, do you lose your salvation? And the answer is no. Right, right. right? So, yeah, that, is that that's the uh, perseverance of the saints. Okay. Um, yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> I don't know if that was your question, but I just started thinking no, no, that. No, 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 no. Okay. Yeah. Any other thoughts on this? I know it's kind of deep. <coughs> I have a question. So going back to uh, this Justin's original question about uh, about John three sixteen, how God, uh, how it says he died for the world, right? Mm-hmm. So <coughs> Jesus died to satisfy God's wrath uh, on sin, right? Mm-hmm. So if Jesus only died for the elect, then the non-believers uh, still have their sin. So does God just give them grace? Yeah, there's not a destroying them. 
Yeah, yeah. There, and then that goes to um, what's called common grace versus saving grace or doing redeeming grace. Um, and that kind of goes to like um, maybe how God uh, touches on how God loves everybody in one sense because we're all His image bearers, right? So He loves the world because He created it, um, but He has a special love for His elect, right? Um, and His special the special love He gives to the elect, He gives these people the um, uh, the saving grace. So in in one sense, like even the those that are um, unsaved. They get to experience um, a common grace in, in, in how um, they just enjoy life and they can enjoy all these little things. Uh, but ultimately, they're, they're headed towards um, destruction. Um, so I don't know. If w- wouldn't you say, like some people say that then God hates non-believers because he didn't pick their sin, only his elect. Mm-hmm. In one sense, he loves them because they're <coughs> his image bearers, but he also uh, hates them in another sense. And we went through that before in, uh, in that Sunday school where we talked about the love of God. Um, so, yes. I guess because, like, because uh, Pastor Michael was saying that, you know, it can't be that God loves you, but, and then he said, it can't be that God loves you, and then he says, oh, you're going to hell. But then don't we also say that God <laughs> loves you, that he wants you to do what you want, so he allows you to go. Right? So isn't that, like, basically saying that if God... Uh, so I guess it's it's saying that it, it can be true that God does love you that he's letting you go to hell mm-hmm. because that's what you want right mm-hmm. yeah so how does that work with the saying that God loves you that he won't put you to hell but yet God loves you <coughs> and will let you go to hell you know what I mean like mm-hmm. it's there's two kinds of God's love yeah. <laughs> and we'll, we'll actually go over this a little bit next week when irresistible grace yeah, yeah. Sorry, that doesn't answer your question. I'm just keeping. I'm keeping in mind that it's like 10:48 now. Okay. Um, but. Um, yes. <laughs> no, no, yeah. Um, so yeah, we'll, we'll answer that. Sorry, I don't mean to leave you hanging. It's just sake of time. Come next week. Okay. Um, we'll, we'll end and then uh, we'll head over. Yes, Father, thanks for. Um, discussion and thanks for uh, these um, these doctrines that uh, we're able to study uh, thank you for um, just uh, different ideas different differing viewpoints so that we uh, can understand uh, what we hold better um, we pray father that we will be biblical in our understanding uh, that even though some things are hard to understand and accept um, that we would not always go with um, solely off of our emotions and what we feel, but may we continue to be biblical and, and grounded in your word as we look for uh, for these answers, God. We pray that we would uh, continue to study Bible, continue to study theology, and but also uh, that it would affect us and, and that we would respond as we understand your love for us, your, your uh, sovereignty, and that this would truly change our hearts to... Uh, and that it would transform us, Father. So uh, help us not to be just full of head knowledge, but also that we would um, grow in our love and in our heart for uh, for you and for um, um, things that you love, God. So thanks for this time. We love you. We pray in your son's name. Amen. Thank you, Harry. Yeah. I'll, 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 uh, I'll stop later. <laughs>